Welcome back. I am Charles Musgrove, your host of Business Matters. I'm with the Bean Team. We are still in COVID crisis. Yes, this seems like uh, a long time that we've been in this COVID crisis, but we are coming out. And I'll do this to start the show today. We're in the pre-roll. This is heard on the podcast and on YouTube. Uh, we just set up the show that we're going to talk about for the what's recorded for the radio show. But right now it is May the 19th, and it is 3.53 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So whenever you listen to this show or watch it on YouTube later, remember that we are recording this and, and the rapid changes that have happened over the last couple of months. Uh, don't be surprised that more things could change. Uh, between now and when you listen or watch this show. And today is, uh, just like all of our other shows, we try to bring nuggets of knowledge to those that are in the business world. We try to deal with the issues that are relevant, that matter to your business. And a lot of businesses were, they were really looking for survival from some of the the government uh, assistance with the loan programs. Uh, one of those programs has been the Paycheck Protection Program. Uh, a lot of our clients, a lot of businesses out there that are listening and watching, they have participated in that program. And today we're going to delve into the forgiveness application. So we have back on the show uh, Roxanne Sexton, an account manager with business or with Bean Team. So welcome back, Roxanne. You are a veteran to the show now. This yes. is your third show. Thank you. So today we are we're going to talk about something that that is new. This is not the first show that we've done on the Paycheck Protection Program. This is actually, I believe, at least the third show we've done. We have done a show a couple of weeks ago that discussed uh, the Paycheck Protection Program and the loan forgiveness based on preliminary guidelines and preliminary um, procedures as provided by the Fed and the SBA. Now they have issued effective uh, May the 15th, which was last Friday, they issued uh, further guidelines on the the loan forgiveness process, and they actually issued a loan forgiveness application along with instructions. So we are getting closer to what we all believe is going to be final, but I hate to say that this is the final product. So, <laughs> Roxanne, first of all, welcome back to the show. Yes, thank you. Good to be here. So what do you think about this being still not quite final? There's a good chance that they will at least come back with some clarifications or uh, answer some more questions. Uh, they've done a lot of frequently asked questions, FAQs, to address different questions about the application for the loan itself. I suspect we're going to see something similar pop up for the actual forgiveness application as well, just because there's still some lingering questions of what qualifies, what date ranges to use, and so on. Yeah, I would agree. I think they've done a pretty good job of clarifying some of the things that were hanging out that were unclear before. I think they've really cleared those up. And when you get to the pro to the point where you're putting it in an application, it really forces you to address a lot of the questions that, that were out there. So there's still obviously questions that, that have not been answered. Uh, I saw I was watching uh, one of the committee meetings today up at, uh, up at Washington, and they had uh, Mnuchin, Mnuchin they were talking to and the Fed chair and there were still concerns over the eight-week period so people are still concerned about the 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 coverage period and making sure that people uh, use the loan proceeds during that eight-week period so there's still a lot of consternation over that and there there could be some extension of that period and 
broadening out what that period is. There was also con- some concern and discussion about the 75-25% usage of the money. 75% has to go to payroll cost, and then 25% has to be used for uh, the approved costs, which are either mortgage interest, rent, or utilities. So they, they, they may broaden those, uh, and if they're going to do that, they need to do it quickly because time is running out because most of the businesses are in that eight-week period right now. So the clock is ticking, and the, the eight weeks will end uh, for those early receivers of the money the first part of June. So we're looking at around uh, the first week in June up to the second week of June. Is that That's about right, I believe. That, several of my clients who got it early in that first round, yeah, you know, the first couple weeks of June is when, you know, kind of it's all going to start to wrap up, and if we don't have final answers, then it's going to get yeah, a that'll rough. Yeah, that'll be chaotic. So yeah. <laughs> there is, uh, there is, like I said, there's a lot of clarification that that they provided, and there's still a, basically a four-step process. There's four major points to, to the loan forgiveness calculation. So we'll go through those. We'll go through some relevant points in the application itself and the directions that were provided and some clarifications that were provided. There's some new stuff in the application and the guidelines that they provided that we'll go through uh, that, that make it easier. Uh, I think there's they, pro- they provided some more flexibility uh, in the application itself uh, compared to what the preliminary guidelines were. So I think that's all good. I think they're making an effort to make this not a cumbersome process, but to make it as, as simple at, as it can be. And if you think about that, that's that's a pretty big achievement if they can make something this large simple because there's a lot of companies that that re- applied for and received the funding so now they want to make this the second step basically the vetting and the approval of the forgiveness as easy as possible and it's really going to funnel through the banks those lending institutions that put the money out so they're the ones that are going to have to receive this and process it so uh, who knows what the timeline is that they're going to take to process this I know that that there is a six-month interest-free window that they're working with. So I'm, I'm really thinking that sometime between uh, the expiration of that eight-week period and the six-month expiration is when the decision will be made if about the forgiveness of the loans. Yeah, it's supposed to be according to the original guidelines that the banks have 60 days from the time that you submit the application to get it finalized. Whether that actually pans out, we'll see. You know, the banks hopefully will have a little bit of lead time now for the next couple of weeks to get prepared. But there's still a lot of, you know, kind of gray area that they're probably trying to work out and, and be prepared for that. And some clients will probably come in and some businesses will come in with very good records and some of them may not. And that's going to fall back on the banks to have to sort through that. So um, it'll be in your best interest to make sure your records are in good shape. Yeah, to have it organized. I think the uh, the, the application process, from what I've seen, really forces you to have your records organized. you got to go through some pretty detailed calculations and have control over your accounting records, your payroll records. Uh, to do the calculations and to fill out the application. So what I did not see in the application, though, was the documentation that's going to be requ- that the bank will require to support the numbers on the application. So I don't know if they've just left that open. Have you seen anything on that? The very last page or so of the application document does have some guidelines about that, but there's definitely going to be a range of things that they're going to. Um, they, they provided a certain number of alternatives um, you know, in terms of, oh, well, I paid this bill. Well, if you don't have the proof that you paid that, the copy of the check and the bill itself, you also have the 
possibility of turning in a bill from the next month with the proof of the payment from the prior month showing on that statement. So there's some some leeway there, but there's probably going to be some some things that the banks have to sort out on their end to finalize it. Well, good. I think it's going to be good, and I don't know if there's a lot more setup that we need to do for the show, but uh, this is just another show that we provide good information. This is This show is going to really be helpful for those that receive the PPP uh, loan and that they're looking now at making sure that they gather the right information and that they spend the money correctly. So it's all going to, your records are going to be as good as how you spend the money. So you can't falsify the records. So let's spend the money correctly. Let's spend the money in the correct time period for the correct purposes during that eight week period that that is the covered period. So we'll go through the definition of the covered period. And uh, with that being said, I'm going to ask John to play us a little bit of music. And what we'll do is we will, uh, you'll hear music, then we'll do the recording for the radio show. And if we don't finish all the all of the content during the radio show, we'll just extend that show over into a, an after-the-show show. So uh, all of you that are listening on podcast or watching on YouTube, you'll get the benefit of seeing the before, the show itself, and after uh, to cover any follow-up items that we may not be able to cover during the show itself. So with that being said, John, play us a little bit of music, and we'll get started for the radio show. Welcome to the Business Matters Talk Show with Charles Musgrove. On Business Matters, we discuss the issues that matter to your business. Find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and BeanTeam.com. And now here's your host, Charles Musgrove. Welcome back. Welcome back. We are still in the midst of the COVID crisis. We are coming out of it. And if you're watching right now on YouTube, you'll see that I'm holding a water bottle that is filled with hand sanitizer. So a warning to those that come into the studio, do not drink the hand sanitizer that's on the table. So that being said, today is May the 19th, 2020. It is 4.02 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So I know that you'll be listening to, you'll be watching this at a later time. So, you know, there's a lot of things that have been happening happening very rapidly over the last two months. So we're going to talk about the PPP loan forgiveness application. This is hot off the press as of Friday, May the 15th. So it is new. It provides guidelines. It provides instruction on how to apply for the uh, loan forgiveness part under the PPP program. So please stay tuned. Watch this. Listen to this. You're going to find some good information on what records you need to gather, how you need to spend the money to get the to get as much loan, much of that loan forgiven as possible. You want to get all of it forgiven if you possibly can. There is a way to do it. That's how they set it up so that they, if you spend the money according to the guidelines and the intent of this program, you will be able to get the loan forgiven. So listen, watch this show. You will enjoy it. If we don't get all the show content covered during the segment for the radio show, stay tuned to us on podcast or YouTube. You'll see us out there. Look for Bean Team. Look for Business Matters. You'll see that other shows out there that are extremely helpful for business. We provide uh, information about the issues that matter to your business. Stay, stay tuned. Check us out. Look for that information. And welcome back to the show. We've got Roxanne Sexton from the Bean Team. She is back in the show today, back in studio here in Tallahassee. So welcome back, Roxanne. Thanks. It's good to be here. Roxanne has become the resident expert on this Paycheck Protection Program, and she's helping a lot of clients. She's helping a lot of businesses out there 
navigate their way through, uh, first of all, how to apply for the loan now that people have received the loans. Now they want to go through the process of getting as much of that loan forgiven as possible. So it's all going to be keyed based on how you spend the money. The the SBA provided, the SBA and the feds provided guidelines when you applied for the loan that said, okay, this loan is intended to be used for payroll. They want you to rehire people to keep people employed rather than them going to the unemployment line. So they want 75% of that loan to be spent on payroll. Now they do define what the payroll costs are in, in that loan and how is it, how it is to be spent. The other 25% of that loan is to be used for approved costs that include utilities, rent, or mortgage interest. That's a very short list, but that is how they have defined what you need to use that money for. And they've also defined that you need to spend that money over an eight-week covered period. Now, it's not just eight weeks. It is actually 56 days. So there is some some math involved in that and some calendar days that it's not just a a pure eight weeks. It's a 56 days, and they will uh, pay particular attention to when you receive the money, when the loan was received, when the paperwork was was signed as the effective date of that loan and when the money was deposited in your in your account that's when it starts that's when the the clock starts on that 8 week or 56 day period so we're going to go through that we're we're going to discuss really uh, the four step process there's basically four steps in this loan calculation of how to what lo- what amount of the loan will be forgiven so we'll go through that again there's a lot that's been uh, clarified that the definition is now provided in how you do it. And there's actually some new terms, some new processes that they injected into this uh, application that they issued on Friday the 15th. Roxanne, has that properly set that up? Absolutely. There's a, there's a lot to digest in this application for forgiveness. So it, it's worthwhile to go through all the steps and all the details of how that works. All right, we're going to cover as much of this as possible. So we want to uh, we're going to go through things that, in particular, things that have changed, things that have that really will be, uh, I think, relevant to to go over. If you, we have done another show on the loan forgiveness calculation that was done two weeks ago. So if you want to look at that, most of that is still relevant. There's four steps we discussed in the previous show also, so go check that out. That's on YouTube. That's on Apple Podcast under Business Matters. Uh, check it out, and that, that will help you. That will provide some good background for this show as well. So the first thing I wanted to uh, clarify was what I mentioned was the eight-week, 56 days. So that is, that was, that's probably been known the whole time, but it is a 56-day calculation and not an eight-week. Well, eight times seven. I think, or right. I think that does work out. That works out perfect. Yes. So, but you do have to be careful because it's easy to. It, they did clarify that the eight weeks starts the first day that you receive the money in the account is the first day. So it doesn't start the following the, the day. day. After, right. It starts the day that it's received. So if you pull out the calendar and count eight weeks down, and then go back one day from you know so if you receive the money on a friday your last day covered will be a thursday Thursday. that's right so that's that's important to kind of have that in mind from the get-go so you know what your cutoff point is going to be exactly so now they have also thrown in an alternative payroll covered period so tell me the difference between the alternative covered period and just the pure 56 day eight week period that starts on the day you receive the deposit 
Absolutely. So they set up this alternative payroll covered period to acknowledge the fact that a lot of people were in kind of survival mode leading up to getting this loan. They could not afford to pay all of their employees. They couldn't afford to pay as many people as they wanted to, as much as they wanted to. Um, And for several of my clients, we already experienced that, that they had already submitted a pay period. And in the meantime, they received their PPP money. So if we were going strictly just by what day the payroll paid, that first payroll would be based on their previous not covered payroll, you know, where they were on survival mode. Uh, So they did put in a exception there where you can choose to start your payroll starting from the first day of the next pay period after you receive your PPP money. So if you realized, oh my gosh, that whole first payroll, you know, we, we did it all wrong because we didn't know yet, you can choose, this is at the election of the borrower, to choose to start that one pay period afterwards. That only applies for your payroll costs. So you can't use that loophole to extend it for your rent or utilities or anything else. That is specifically only for the payroll just because they acknowledge that you may have been running payroll using a very limited budget and then suddenly you have this PPP money and they wanted to account for that. Right. So that is a, that's a choice that the borrower can make. So correct me if I'm wrong, but if, if during that eight week period, that 56 days, they really look at your first, your first choice is treat the payment on a cash basis. So if you're paying, uh, let's just say you're paying on uh, the second week of receiving that and you're paying for three weeks or four weeks worth of payroll, you can count that entire payment as part of the calculation. Yes, that is generally the way it works. Um, what they're going to frown on is if you normally pay, you know, let's say every two weeks and then you try to sneak in an extra payroll at the end after you've already gotten uh, four pay periods, they're going to notice that, that, hey, you tried to cover an extra week in here. Uh, but as long as you have eight weeks worth of payroll approximately covered in there, um, whether that's two monthly payrolls or four biweekly payrolls or eight weekly payrolls, however you do it, it just needs to kind of fit within that time frame. Don't try to get creative and do an extra payroll in there somewhere. Yeah. So the, uh, so y- there's, there's a, possibility that you could do if you're if you're doing uh, I don't know if you're catching up or if you're doing bonuses or something like that they as long as it's payroll and you pay it during that period most likely you're going to get the check mark that that's okay count that as part of the the uh, payroll process or the payroll that's counted for the 75 percent yes a bonus would be counted differently rather than just trying to like pay in advance on a future pay period or something like that or paying backdating the payroll to a previous period neither of those are going to fly but Absolutely. if you're paying a bonus during that covered period that's 100 percent fine right so the, the uh the key there that you mentioned that that i didn't bring up was do not pay payroll for the future so they're they're definitely going to frown on that and that'll that if you if they catch that or if they suspect that more than likely they're going to kick that out and that will not be part of the calculation so there is um the eligible cost so did they add any flexibility to that? I know typically they're looking at the what's paid during that, so it's on a cash basis. But I did. See, it looked like they provided some flexibility that if they're if it's on an accrual basis and you pay that 
under normal terms after the eight week, they will allow you to, to account for that also. That's correct. They did clarify that uh, you can count not just the expenses that you pay during the time frame, during those eight weeks. And this is talking about the non-payroll covered costs. Right. Uh, that anything you pay during the eight weeks does count. And then if you, say, get a bill for June 1st and it's normally due by the 20th, and the 20th happens to be after your period ends, that still counts. You just may need to provide the additional backup to show that, yes, I did pay that, which since we're looking at potentially 60 days to get it forgiven, you know, you'll probably have those records available at the time. Absolutely. So make sure you keep all of those notes and records and statements of all your bills. So what they're doing there is they're providing some more flexibility. They're trying to make it easier on the borrower to operate as normal, and they, they're going to give them that benefit if on basically on an accrual basis. So if you normally are going to pay your utility bill two weeks after that eight-week period, but it related back to the period covered, then you're good. Yes. Then they're going to allow that. Yes. So there is, so that's, that's a, that's a, that's clarification. That's a new point that they've added there because that was always a question before. Is this under a pure cash basis or is there any accrual component to it? So now they've clarified that. I think they've made it pretty clear on both the payroll and as well as the other approved costs that could be paid cash basis outside of the eight week covered period. Yes. The, uh, the average FTE. So there was prior to this clarification, the FTE calculation the guidance that they had provided, and even from the SBA uh, websites and other information they provided, other payroll companies, they'd always said to use a 30-week full-time equivalent as your base for the part-time people. So that would be the determination if they were full-time, if they worked 30 hours a week. So yes. now they've clarified it, or they've changed it in, in the this guidance, that in order to, that your calculation is based on a 40-hour per week. Correct. Now they are using the definition of full-time equivalent to equal 40 hours average per week. Uh, And then so you can either, if you're part-time people, if you have someone who's working 30 hours, you can uh, count them as a, you know, 0.7 or 0.8, you know, percent of a full-time. Or they also offered an alternative to make this a little bit easier where you can count all your full-time people as one and all your part-time people as 0.5 and just simplify that. So that's going to help a lot because full-time equivalent calculations are a pain. That is probably going to be one of the hardest things for most employers to try to come up with. Hopefully, if you have a payroll company, they will give you some kind of shortcut for this to help simplify that. But if you're stuck doing it yourself, I suggest taking the modified uh, FTE count option to count all your part-time people is 0.5. Yeah, that makes it real simple. And they did have, so if you're, if in your actual covered period that the calculation is based on 40 hours, then your reference period also is based on 40 hours. So it's not that you're doing a 30 hour in your reference and you do a 40 hour because that would, that would put you at a, at a severe disadvantage. So 40 hours on both the reference period and on the actual covered period. So let's discuss the, the reference period. So there's, there's two there's two options that you have available for your reference period for the FTE comparison. So that that is either January 1st through February 29th, 2020. Is I one think option. it was March 31st. Or is that on the payroll part? I know the payroll you do get. I think get, that's, well, it could be both. Yeah. <laughs> either th- or. <laughs> I think you get on the payroll because there's, there's two, back to the four steps. Yeah. Let me run through those four steps again. And then that, because that's relevant in our discussion point right here. 
So the four steps are the first is 75% to payroll costs, 25% to what they define as other costs, which that's your mortgage interest, rent, or utilities. Second step is the salary reductions are limited. So you can't reduce your salary or your the pay that you pay your people by more than 25%. So if you reduce it by more than 25%, then your, then your loan forgiveness will also be reduced. The third is your FTE count in the covered period compared to the reference period cannot decrease at all. So that has to be 100% retained or you take a reduction in the forgiveness amount. So those are, those are the three main. And then there's the fourth, which was always kind of a question mark, is they, they now define that as the safe harbor is the step four, that if you, if you replace your FTEs by June 30th, then the reduction that you experienced in the, step th- pre- the previous step in step three uh, caused by your FTE reduction is eliminated. So there is a safe harbor June 30th. You have to, re- you have to replace or return all of your FTE count 100% to the reference period. So those are basically the four steps. So now when we're discussing the, the FTE comparison to our reference period, the periods that they give you the option for is there's what is the period in, in 2019? Is it February through June? I There are a couple of different options, and I'd have to pull the notes out in front of me because they there are a number of different optional periods. Um, at one point, uh, they suggested, I think, uh, February through May of 2019 would be one option, or it may have been June. Um, but there are several different reference periods, um, and the the goal would be to find one that would be comparable, you know, that's a reasonable number. They obviously understand that some people are seasonal. So there's several exceptions for seasonal businesses where you can pick and choose your own covered period or your own reference. And that will help a lot of people. Um, if you weren't in business in 2019 and you don't have a reference for 2019, you can use your 2020 uh, I believe, generally speaking, they're going to be looking at that January, February, March time frame of 2020 as the comparison, because I think they do understand that uh, if you were, you know, in business a year ago, you may have changed your business operations in a year's time, and you may not have needed that many employees anymore by early 2020. So I think they're going to aim to try to get you to compare to early 2020 numbers and then reference back to that um, and then of course then with the safe harbor um, to compare with June to see if you get back to those numbers again. Right so the um, the FTE count is based so if you're doing the 2020 and that that probably is going to be the most relevant for companies as to because that's the, the what their comparison period is unless they're they're a cyclical or a seasonal company then if their if their reference period for the FTEs is 2020, then they would use January 1st through February 29th to count their FTEs. Now, so that is the FTE reference period. The salary period, because as one of the steps is, you also make sure that your salaries have not reduced, and that average or that calculation is looking at January through March. I know that's a that seems like a disparity that. On the FTE, they're looking at January and February, but on the salary, they're actually looking at a three-month period of time for that. Uh, so they get they give the average, or you really annualize the salary over those period uh, as your reference period. Now, the strange thing is on the hourly 
compensation, they don't look at the total compensation for those hourly people. They look at the rate per hour for the hourly people. Correct. And, and that was a little bit of a surprise uh, when we started digging into those uh, calculations. So if all of your hourly employees are still making the same amount per hour, you will be in good shape on your uh, payroll reduction. What you will still have to watch out for, of course, is the FTE reduction, because if you cut back their hours by half, that's going to hurt you pretty badly. Um, so I think that's why they left it that way. To They know that if you cut your hourly employees and you didn't restore their hours, the FTE reduction is going to hurt you a lot worse than that payroll reduction number would. Yeah, absolutely, um, because actually in the payroll reduction, you got a 25% buffer. Yes. In your FTE calculation, there is no buffer. Yeah, it's a straight percentage off the top proportional reduction. Um, if you had five employees and now you only have four, you've just lost 20% of your forgiveness right there off the top instantly. Whereas the payroll reduction is a dollar for dollar. If you paid somebody um, less, you know, by $100 a week, well, that's $100 times eight weeks. Okay, you know, that's only $800 as opposed to a 20 percent yeah and the, you know that's the, a huge difference and that could really affect a lot of people because what they could do is they could spend the money they could spend it on on a lesser amount of fte so you've paid all of the money that you should pay you paid 75 percent of the total for payroll cost however you paid fewer people on the fte count and like you said if you've had 10 people and you now only in your reference period but in your uh covered period you only had eight FTEs, redu reduction of 20% off of what's forgiven. So you may have spent all the money correctly. However, you didn't pay the, the correct number of people, so you take a, a hit right off the top. Yeah, and, and keep in mind that that reduction applies not just to your payroll amount that you're aiming to get forgiven, but also that 25% of covered costs also takes that deduction too. Absolutely. So, so it's, it's a across total the board. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so, it's really important to make sure you get the FTEs back up. So the FTE is important, and there's going to be a lot of people that when they when they make their last payroll in that eight-week covered period, they're going to be short, and they're going to have to scramble for that uh, safe harbor number, safe harbor date on June 30th to try to restore those people. Yes, that's going to be the big goal, you know, and hopefully I think the idea of that safe harbor is that while, you know, maybe in May there's still um, some places operating under lockdowns or only uh, partially open, you know, for, for many businesses, if you can only open 25 or 50 percent, that's really hard to uh, to try to keep that many employees uh, working. And I think the idea was that hopefully by the end of June, everyone will be back to normal. Everything will be open. You'll be able to do business pretty much as usual and have full staff. And, you know, so that's the idea. Um, but it's to your benefit that while you're getting the PPP money to pay for your payroll, you may as well go ahead and get your, P uh, your FTEs on the books Absolutely. during your covered period and save yourself the hassle. Yeah, get those on there quick. And although we think that they may relax some of those rules i would not count on that and you really can't you can't wait till the last minute to try to make those corrections you need to do that as soon as possible because the clock is ticking on that 56 day period and it's going to be very difficult to spend all that money at the last minute and to get those people back on board that quickly so just a note uh as you're going through that to make sure that you do that early and that you that you get your FTE count, start doing that now. So uh, don't wait till the last minute. Uh, look at it in advance before you cut the next payroll 
And what you may end up doing is, um, and we've we've talked about this with a lot of clients, is they may end up paying people that really aren't working. So you that that's just that's just how that is working. That was really the intent of the the loan the program anyway is to, uh, if you can make them productive, then do that. But for the for the businesses that have been shut down, the restaurants, the bars, the other entertainment facilities. They didn't have a business to open, so it was very difficult for them to be creative to come up with work for them to do. So, in essence, they're paying people, and they're not working. Yeah, and the goal is, though, to keep some money circulating into the economy, make sure these people can pay their rent, pay their bills, buy food, keep the economy functional until everything can start to open up as usual. Absolutely. So, the... Uh, we have talked about some of the new stuff that is uh, just of particular importance. I want to make sure that we've gone through that. So we went through, uh, let's see, exclusion from FTE calculations, any officer for rehire that were rejected in any voluntary redesign, retired, or fired. or caught. So I did see that if you, one of the exceptions that on the FT, meeting the FTE uh, requirements is if you offer employment to people that were furloughed and they choose not to come back, then you do get an exception for the FTE for that position. Correct. You want to make sure that you have a written offer, whether it's got to be by an email or something of that nature. You know, obviously you may not be able to get people to come back and and sign a piece of paper in your office. Um, But if you can document that you offered them back their job in, you know, at all the same rates and pay and you tried to work with them to make it you know safe for them to come back and they still choose not to for whatever reason that will give you a a loophole on meeting that FTE requirement you get to count that person as one FTE uh, rather than having to just take a loss on that Um, and then the people who decline those jobs and sign off on or you know respond and say I'm not taking my job back they should be aware that there is a chance that they would then lose their um, eligibility for any unemployment benefits they may be receiving. So that's kind of a catch-22 there for some people. But the goal is to keep people who could be employed off of unemployment, and they need to be aware of that. Right. And that's, that was one of the questions, uh, believe it or not, that a lot of our clients had because they were in the the restaurant business, and there were people that had been furloughed that were making a lot of money on unemployment and when positions were reoffered to them they chose not to come back or there was a fear uh, from the owners that more of those people would would take the unemployment check rather than coming back to work yeah uh, so this really clears that up and I'm, I'm glad they put that in there that really uh, takes some of the burden off of the employers because had they not had that then they would have to go replace it with other employees or go or hire someone else and that makes it more difficult especially if they were still shut down for sure so uh, there was a lot of challenges there and there was there was uh, uh, questions that we had from from clients also what would their liability or their exposure be to situations like that so it's in those cases it's really the responsibility of the employee not to get unemployment and to be on yeah. And to receive a payroll check. Now, the loophole that I did hear mentioned was that if an employee uh, ended up refusing the job out of being high risk um, or at, in specific danger of uh, catching coronavirus, that that could be used to both get the exemption and to continue getting unemployment. But that would be an exception to the rule, you know, and only for specific people. So be very cautious about taking that so in those cases we're gonna we're gonna refer to we're gonna make a call to our employment lawyer because the fmla 
uh, did change as a result of this coronavirus. So those are some new uh, complications, some new burdens, some new responsibilities on them, part of the employer that has been caused uh, as a result of COVID, and it, it really complicates the FMLA. And uh, really the 50-person, the 50-employee company are no longer clearly uh, excluded from that FMLA law. So buyer beware, owner beware, check with your employment law attorney. Roxanne, this has been another great show. This has been a lot of detail on the PPP loan forgiveness application and the process that you have to go through. I think we've covered a lot of that. We are going to stick around just for some closing comments and some wrap-up on that. So if you're listening to the radio show, go check us out on YouTube. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio. We're out there. We've got a lot of good information on not only life during COVID, the PPP application, loan forgiveness process, a lot of good stuff that will help your business. Go check us out. I am Charles Musgrove, host of Business Matters. I'm with the Bean Team. Check us out every week or out there in the cyberspace. Peace and love. The Business Matters Talk Show with Charles Musgrove is sponsored by The Bean Team. For all your business accounting and tax preparation needs, visit beanteam.com or call 893-7710. You can listen to more episodes of Business Matters on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or visit beanteam.com. All right, so let's do just a little bit of wrap-up. Thank you for staying with us. Uh, We have been talking about the loan forgiveness application process. It's the loan forgiveness under the PPP program, Paycheck Protection Program, loan forgiveness. So we have gone through a lot of details. This is a very complicated process, so I would would encourage you, before we even started recording the show, Roxanne and I were talking about the the complications of this and if you read the application it it is um, it, it's not in an Excel format it is in a an application format it is a form to fill out but maybe it's just us our minds work in kind of a Excel we can figure it out when we put it in an Excel and we we do the formulas and we do some if then and we we make the we make the Excel thing help us out in the flow process so this does take some flow this takes some uh, a lot of the what goes into the sub the sub calculations roll up into the summary. So it, there's a lot of linking in this, and I would really encourage you to work with to work with an advisor that can help you with this, or go ahead and and start building your Excel file. So if you if you uh, are interested, you can contact us at Bean Team. Uh, just go to our website, and you can hit us up there, and we will. Uh, provide the assistance that we can. We've, we've gathered a lot of information. So any other pointers that you'd like to throw out on this application process? Um, the, the biggest thing is to start getting that table one, which if you've looked at that, the table one is uh, where you have your list of all of your employees uh, and how much uh, they're earning and what their FTE count is and whether or not um, you've reduced their salary. It's a very, uh, it looks very simple there on the page, uh, but when you start trying to plug in these numbers, uh, you very quickly start to realize that there's some additional uh, math involved and some loopholes that you have to be aware of, um, especially when it gets to that payroll reduction number and to that FTE count. Uh, so that table one section and to a lesser extent table two um, was really where it started to get uh, a little bit hairy. Um, and that you can actually uh, start kind of building that uh, sooner rather than later. Or 
hopefully, if you have a payroll company and many uh, medium to larger businesses will have a payroll service, I am very, very hopeful that all of those payroll companies will come out with very specific reports that will spit out these numbers that you need. Uh, but if you are working on your own or you have a small independent payroll company, you may be on your own. Yeah, I would. I think that those are great suggestions, and definitely on go ahead, going ahead and go through the app, going through that process right now, building those tables now, because more than likely, if you received a loan, you've already started incurring costs. You've already had at least one payroll, probably two, maybe three payrolls already. So you probably have a very good idea who you're going to pay on the final payrolls during that covered period. So build build the table now, uh, and that's based on. Who you paid, you have to list their names, you have to list the last four digits of the Social Security number, you have to list what, go through the whole process of what you paid, what what the period is that you're paying, so it does the calculation, uh, or you got to do the calculation to make sure that you've got both uh, the salary not being reduced, the hourly pay rate not being reduced, and your FTE count not being reduced. So you've got the comparison during the covered period back to the reference period, so there's a lot of math, there's a lot of payroll cost. Uh, there's some thought process that goes into it, so it's not something that you can do at the last minute. And hopefully, uh, I would agree with you, Roxanne, I've already seen in uh, QuickBooks where they have already uploaded a new uh, Paycheck Protection Program calculation that helps you uh, with building some of this information that's needed for the loan uh, ap- loan forgiveness application. So they're into it. Uh, we've, we've done work with Paychecks, with ADP. A lot of those, the big companies, if you're with one of those big companies for the processing, they're more than likely going to have, they're probably already preparing or may already have out there uh, some of the forms or some of the reports that you can print that will assist you with those calculations and filling out the application. So please do that. Uh, definitely look for uh, look for the right consultation, somebody to make sure they review that with you. Uh, because pretty soon those will be due to the lending institution to go through the app, through the forgiveness process. Yeah, and the last thing you need is to get it into the bank, have the bank reject parts of it or all of it because there's mistakes or incorrect information, and then you have to start all over again, and that, you know, that gives the bank another 60 days to ever get an answer back to you. And I'm sure the banks will be working as hard as they can, but knowing how many PPP loans they processed uh, during the month of April and into May, I am sure they will be just backlogged uh, trying to keep up with all of that. There's going to be a lot, and this is, uh, Roxanne, you may disagree with me on this, but this is this is a situation considering the amount of changes, the new rules, the clarification, the FAQs, the frequency they've come out with those. I would say do not be the first person to submit your application for loan forgiveness. Yeah, I, I would say that's probably smart to uh, at, at least let the first uh, the first half of June go by and kind of, you know, wait and see. Um, obviously, you've already got the money in your account, so it's not going to hurt you at all to wait a little bit longer um, just to kind of see if anything new emerges. Uh, like you were saying earlier, you know, there are still discussions going on in Washington about whether or not they're going to change any of these rules or relax any of these rules. So, it can't hurt anything to wait and see and, and maybe uh, take advantage of some new rules that may come out. Yeah, and that is that is true. We can't count on those rules happening, but there's been discussion about uh, changing the 7525, uh, changing the period, that the eight-week period, expanding that so you've got longer to use the money. 
if they change the 2575, then more than likely that's going to filter down into they've got to change the FTE calculation as well. Uh, otherwise, you, that's you're, that, that's just going to make it more complicated and, and more difficult to achieve the objective of, of spending the money correctly. So there could be changes, but you can't, you can't count on those. You can't spend the money now or not spend the money now hoping that they do make changes. So the point of that is don't be the first one to submit your application for forgiveness. Stay in contact with the bank. See if the bank is provide your bank that you're working with is providing you any guidance. Uh, if you have a, a commercial lender that you're working with, reach out to them and kind of review this with them informally before submitting the application final. Because once they, most most likely, most of the time when, when the bank receives the documentation, that's it. So they may not want you to uh, cha- make changes to what you've submitted. They're going to assume that what you've submitted is final and it's the final product, and they may not want you to, you may not have the ability to make changes to it once it's been submitted. So you want to make sure that you get, uh, use the mulligan uh, verbally so that you get it done correctly and you get it done timely, but don't be the first one in the door. I'd agree. So those are words of advice for that. Uh, this is, this is, I think, relief to to us that have been working with the details on this. There are guidelines that have now been provided. Uh, and this was, uh, be on the lookout for further guidelines. We were on a conference call last week, I believe it was on Thursday, with the SBA office out of Miami. And they were saying that the guidelines would be issued over the next seven days. Well, they were actually issued within 48 hours of that of that conference that we had. So I'm glad they got those out. And Quite honestly, the the folks on the call with the SBA office down in Miami, they they really didn't have any more information than what we had. Uh, it was all just based on what had been published. They had no insider information on on uh, what was going to be in these final guidelines. One other question before we wrap up: the idle loan on that conference call, they kept they kept making reference that the ten thousand dollar grant under the idle loan would be is is forgiven. However, your PPP forgiveness was reduced by the amount of that grant. Yes. Is that Did that carry forward in this application? Yes. So you will see on your PPP loan uh, forgiveness application uh, that there is a section to fill in how much you received for an idle advance, which is what they're calling it now, um, a little bit uh, of a change there since they'd been referring to it as a grant early on and then kind of uh, switch that around. Uh, but they're going to ask for the amount you received and that application number so that they can cross-reference back through their records to confirm that, yes, you did receive that. And then, you know, assuming uh, that nothing else changes in the meantime, that money, $10,000 or however much you received, will be uh, pulled out of that forgiveness amount. So if you had a $100,000 loan, uh, PPP loan, and you received $10,000, and let's say you got 100% met your forgiveness, you spent everything you were supposed to the way you were supposed to, kept all your FTEs, didn't reduce anybody's payroll, um, you would still end up having to pay back $10,000 of that loan back to the SBA. so that's a, a little bit of a disappointment to a lot of people uh, who were kind of just thinking that this was going to be a uh, a bonus money, and it's it's not exactly. Yeah, they they did change. I think the uh, the intent, or that was kind of a a bait and switch on that because it was title grant. Now they've changed it to advance, and they made it very clear in the early documentation that 
the idle grant, if you spent that money for purposes other than what the PPP was spent on, that it would not be a reduction, that you would be able to keep that grant if it was up to $10,000 and it had no effect on, on the PPP forgiveness. So now they've changed that, and I think they've said that you don't have to pay the the idle back. However, the forgiveness part of that PPP loan is now reduced by the amount of that idle grant. Yes, and the way they kept kind of referring to it during that SBA call was that that advance uh, was intended to help you pay your payroll during the interim while you're waiting for your PPP loan, and that therefore it gets counted against your PPP forgiveness. And again, that's not exactly what a lot of people were led to believe at the beginning. Um, the good news is I have started to see a few people uh, getting actual approvals for their idle loan application. So what started out is just, I need this $10,000 to try to stay in business. Um, now several people that I work with have been offered actual full SBA loans um, up to $150,000. That seems to be kind of the the ballpark that the SBA is offering. And that is basically you spend it on any type of working capital or operating expenses to help you get through your uh, COVID crisis. Um, and it, with very generous repayment terms, we're talking 30 years at 3.75 interest. So that's a lot more helpful. Um, so I'm not sure how that is going to factor in into the PPP forgiveness as well. Um, that if you got that advance, is right. that now going still going to be deducted out of your PPP forgiveness, or is that just going to be Part now of the counted? Idle loan. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, we will we will probably have to wait and see. Yeah, that'll uh, be that'll be clarified because on the application, unless I was looking at it wrong, there even though you put the idle grant or advance on there along with the idle grant advance number, it did not reduce off of the application. Correct. They did not factor that in there in the calculations anywhere else right. on the um, actual form, you know, where it's coming up with the numbers for the forgiveness. So I think that that's going to be a behind the scenes um, thing that's going to happen with the SBA when the bank submits this application back to the SBA, which, of course, you know, the bank's going to look at it first, but the SBA is going to be looking at this stuff. Uh, that then the SBA will be the one to make that final determination of how much. And, of course, you know, at the end of the day, it's actually the SBA right. paying they, back the exactly. bank for yeah. the loan. So yeah. th that's going to be a whole different uh, discussion that's going to happen outside of the borrower. Yeah, that'll be between the bank and the SBA. So that's that a good thing you brought that up because, the you know, the SBA, the Fed, they did change the rules on the, the idle COVID loan also originally that was up to two million dollars um was it two million dollars or was it more than that you could i think you could get up to two million dollars under the idol and that had the i want the to 30, say it was 10 million. 10 million it was yeah. 10 million that's right so then what they did was they nixed that and said the max is going to be a hundred and fifty thousand. so we've we've seen a lot of clients right now they're coming out with they're getting the max offer uh, of 150, it, it is at the favorable rates of 3.75 percent for 30 years. So it is a those are very favorable terms, uh, even though the amount has been slashed dramatically. Yeah. Um, and there's no prepayment penalties, of course. So you know, if you get a couple years out and you realize, okay, I, I want to refinance this or pay this off, you're not stuck in it for 30 years. Of course, you can pay it off early. But I think for most people, just having that working cash for 
Oh, yeah. You know, an unlimited amount of time, that's right. going to help. And what we've seen, there's not a lot of restrictions on, on what that money can be used for either. So Yeah, there there's very few. Um, of course, when you if you do get to that stage where you're getting an offer, make sure you read your closing docs and, and go through that. It does have a um, restriction about lobbying, which, of course, I think everybody who applied was already aware of that. Um, and it does have a security based on the assets. Um, it's not a personal guarantee, but they do have an interest in your assets. Um, and there are some restrictions about relocating those assets without telling the SBA first. All right. So those are good points. There's, uh, let's see, there is a new, in the application, there is a new uh, certification that the borrower has to sign. So it's very similar to the certification in the, in the original application for the loan itself. So again, that is uh, that just wants the, the SBA and the banks want to have documentation that you were eligible to receive that and you certify that you were eligible to receive it. And one of the FAQs, uh, one of the most recent FAQs, they did clarify that, and even in the application, if the loan amount was two million dollars or more, that you are subject to your file being pulled by the SBA and audited, uh, and. They really, they didn't say they would not look at anybody less than that, but they, I think the implication is uh, if, if the loan amount was less than $2 million, they would not pull your file for audit or, or evaluation of the eligibility uh, to get to receive the loan. Yeah, from what I recall, I, I feel like I saw something in there that basically acknowledged that they just don't have the, the staff and the time to fully review every single one of those applications. So this was a measure that was intended to take some of the pressure off of them and also to make sure that the ones they are going after would be worth it. Right. You know, if they do They're fully aware. Yep, exactly right. So there is, uh, if you look back at some of the documentation on where the loans have been paid out to and the, and the borrowers for that, the vast amount of that, I think it's uh, well over 75% of that went to loans of $300,000 or less. So at least that was on the round one. I know they've not spent all of round two yet, uh, but there is uh, most of the money appeared, the, the vast number of loans that were issued were for the small business and they were for $300,000 or less. So that's really what the intent of that was, is to protect and to help the small business uh, because there's a lot of those out there and they need the help during this COVID crisis and the vast unemployment that has happened, try to keep as many people employed as possible. So that is anything else we want to add to the show, Roxanne? I think we've covered everything. Uh, if there is, there's uh, there's too many other ideas in my head to think of anything new. All right. So contact us. Check us out on YouTube. You've already got it there. If you're watching on YouTube, if you want to listen to the podcast, we're going to put some notes out there. We'll put some uh, uh, information on the Paycheck Protection Program. So go check it out. We will be out there on uh YouTube will be on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio. Thank you, Roxanne. Thank you for coming Thank in you. and helping us with the explanation on the Paycheck Protection Program Loan Forgiveness Application. So you've been listening to Business Matters. I am Charles Musgrove. We're going to sign off here and join us next time. We will have another important uh, show on maybe even another update on this application process. As the FAQs come out, as further guidance comes out, we will keep you updated on that because that is important for a lot of our our audience uh, to take care of that and to do it right and to, and to provide the help where we can. So thank you. Check us out next time. Business Matters. Have a good day.